Michael Kist, Benjamin Solak. It's the Kist and Solak Show, presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. Flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 48 brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. It's K-I-S-T. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Eight-Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben. We got a win, buddy. We got a consecutive win. How you doing, brother? Mike, let's play mark sanchez every week why don't we think of that before what if we just played mark sanchez every week it's a winning strategy listen uh i know i'm very well it was a fun game to watch it was exciting to watch the eagles not kill themselves in the second half after killing themselves a few times in the first half i thought that was a really interesting way of doing it instead of killing themselves at the end where it mattered they killed themselves in the beginning where they could recover so that was nice uh, and generally, I thought it was a strong performance from the offense. Obviously, a very strong performance from the defense as well. You gotta feel, you gotta feel good. This is they two wins in a row, first time it's happened all season. Up to five hundred, haven't been to five hundred in a while, and now you've got Dallas in a game where, after all the nonsense that's been going on this season, all the difficulty, all the injuries, all the confusion, you win this game. You're in charge of your own destiny. Yeah, definitely. It's simple as that. Yeah, so it's gonna come down to. The Eagles in Dallas, and we'll see what happens from there. But that becomes a very, very important game. The Eagles keep it together. Final score is 28-13. to 13. Ben, this was an interesting one. I don't know if it was an interesting one per se, but a weird one. Because you come in, you think you're going to get Colt McCoy, and you end up playing the Sanchez for half of the game. And is there anything awesome. more thrilling than watching Mark Sanchez try to play the position <laughs> that is quarterback? Well, right. That's why that's why it was so funny when everybody like like they had that two minute drive where they moved the ball down the field pretty nicely and everybody was kind of in panic mode. And it was like, guys, you can't. And this is this is the same conversation we've had about Eli Manning for years. If you could hit slants and curls and march up the field 300 yards every game, then you would. <laughs> But the thing is, you can't. Yeah. And so, they, you know, they, they get down the two-minute drill, sure, and they're able to work it up the field, and the Eagles were calling timeouts trying to get the ball back, and that obviously gave the, the Redskins time once they picked up the first down, whatever. Then you come out and you, you play tighter to the line because you know that Sanchez isn't going to shoot it down the field. Uh, you're getting, obviously, a fantastic pass rush with four because the, the interior offensive line for the Redskins is beat up, and whoop, there you go. I mean, uh, he's unable to string together two good throws. Uh, which is what you expected. And then obviously uh, the run defense for Philadelphia has always been very strong. Run defense for Philadelphia has always been stifling, and it was this way. I mean, I didn't get much of a good look on the 90-yard yeah. touchdown uh-huh. from from obviously Adrian Peterson, yeah. but what it seemed, it looked to me like they were running duo play side, and then I think the Eagles were rotating a safety down into the box to that side, and somebody got walled off, and then uh, I think Cravon LeBlanc was supposed to be the fill player, and he just was late to it, which, I mean, that's that's kind of where you're going to be. Just, just starting random players in nickel corner. You know, happens. It's all right. Uh, they, they, they rebounded the defense very nicely. It was very fun. Yeah, I think on that play it was Camus Grugge Hill who was the mic on that, and he ended up getting sucked into the backside, and and Peterson bounced it to the left, and there was no one there. Uh, Bradham was blocked up. Camus was blocked up. Corey Graham was blocked up down the field by a wide receiver. So that was like the the one play where you're really like, okay, what's going on here? We need to like 
settled down. But otherwise, the run defense was fantastic for the rest of the game. Obviously, the Redskins dealing with those interior issues at the, both the guard spots. And then they even had Tony Bergstrom come down and another player had to come in. I think Cooper went down too. Like it, it was just that line is definitely uh, not what it was when it began the season. But this game started out hot for the Eagles. This is what we wanted to see. We wanted to see them come out and put some points on the board in the first quarter. They came out with a 12-play drive, 80 yards. That took up seven and a half minutes. Ends up with a six-yard strike to Golden Tate, who scores his first touchdown as a Philadelphia Eagle. Early on, I thought the script was good. Uh, the second drive, the third and four run, I don't like those chances. You're about, you're at about 29% as far as converting on a run on third and four, right. at least this year anyway. Uh, I thought that was weird. And then the other thing that I thought was weird, and we'll get into all this and how Carson played and everything like that. It's super important, but you've got fourth down. I don't mind going for it at all. That's what this team is and what will always be under Doug Peterson. You've got fourth and one. I think it's just outside of sneak territory, so I don't mind that it's not a sneak. But you run duo, and we both had different takes on this, and I agree with your take. Because my first take when I saw it was, well, they've had that sniffer look, right? They've had that where that wide receiver comes behind the tackle, and they've been setting up Josh Adams before that all game to where he gets one-on-one with a defensive back to that bounce, you know, where he can kick it out and he's got one-on-one. Right. I thought if he had processed that quicker, seen it quicker, he could have bounced. He would have had one-on-one with Greg Stroman, number 37. However, because he's running duo, what the read is, Ben, is he's reading the linebackers and then making his decision off that. And because he gets pressure Correct. off that edge, edge on block, that then stuffs the play. He didn't have time to really read that. And I, I liked your take on that when I saw it on the timeline. Yeah, so when we talk about duo, which we're getting much more all 22 than we usually do for these <laughs> review pods. Um, so- when we talk about duo, duo is a running play that is kind of ca- characterized. It's, you know, quote unquote, power without a puller is how like you know, the offensive line coaches like to say. It's something Philadelphia's run before. I think it's more frequently run, like, uh, obviously when you're... um. Uh, like, you know, in the middle of the field, but also it's more frequently run, in my opinion, when you're up against your own goal line versus when you're at, uh, you know, you're, you're threatening to score. Yeah. Maybe that's just the, the, the plays, the times that I've seen it. But Duo has two play side double team blocks between the play side uh, guard and then and between the play side center and the play side guard and then between the play side tackle and a tight end as well. And then you're going to also get a seal off block from a second tight end to that side. You need to need at least two tight ends. And what's going to happen there is you're not going to work up to the linebackers with your linemen. You're going to leave the linebackers unblocked. And because of those double teams, you're really going to open up a ton of space, which I guess makes sense because if your double teams win off the line, then you're just going to pave the road. Right. And there's just going to be space to get to the goal line. That didn't happen. But it's not a play where like on power, typically there's one hole that you read. Duo is going to be multiple holes depending on where the linebackers go, which means it requires time. And duo often very frequently requires the, the running back to, to labor, to wait behind the line a little bit, to wait to find what hole he's going to hit. Like we said, that, that Redskins touchdown for Peterson was duo. Yeah. And he hit a backside gap, which is whenever you can hit a power play backside, it usually is good news for you. It means you won numbers. And he hits that and he goes for 90 yards because that play opens up big hole. Do on, on the goal line, like you said, okay, you could have had a one-on-one matchup with a corner you don't really want that that's not the design right yeah yeah like any any sort of goal line run your goal is not to get oh one-on-one matchup with a corner unless you're running like a, a, a speed option or a quick toss with a really quick 
runner and you're like all right the thing about this guy is he's really quick getting to the edge so this is the matchup we want with a guy like josh adams you just want to give him the ball and let him just just Go. truck forward into space yeah. right just let him explode so do it and make a ton of sense to me third and four one with sproles i didn't love it whatever I, you know <laughs> if, if that's what you call it's what you call it, i don't really care uh no as he has been all season and is continuing to do now peterson called a good game yeah uh the one big improvement that i would say that i saw as compared to some of the stuff I've complained about before, is the 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 calls and the designs on the screen game, in my opinion, so much were better. much improved. Right. In, in terms of the, the the biggest change for me wasn't necessarily design. I like how they're running some more interior screens, uh, using Carson Wentz's height as an advantage, so you can see, uh, and then you're you're not tipping your hand by pulling linemen clearly out into space and, and drawing secondary defenders in. But the linemen are kind of just staying where they are, leaking forward, and then you hit the back right behind them. There isn't a visual key for the screen. I like that about the design, but my favorite thing is that they're not just calling it at the 40 anymore. It was yeah. a lot of screens near the 20s on both sides, which is much more where Andy Reid used to call them. Uh, screens like, you know, 30s to 20s where, where Andy always liked them. And I think that, that that they just found that to be the best area with whatever they were getting from the Redskins linebackers. That's what they liked. Uh, you saw screens and you saw draws there be very, very successful. Uh, and, and listen, this Philadelphia offensive line's greatest strength is its mobility. You get to move it out on screens. Very, very few defenses can handle that well. I would say since the Dallas game, you can tell that they've had some new installs with their screen game that we haven't seen before from them. I like your points on that. They're using more deception with them as well, and it is paying off for them. So I do like that, Ben. Along with what we were talking about with that fourth down decision, you also pin the Redskins back. So it's not disastrous that they didn't get that. The Redskins go three and out. We almost got a safety right there. We end up getting the ball right. back on the Washington 40-yard line with another crack at it. We run that draw play to Darren Sproles where Jason Kelsey goes from hash to hash to reach Mason Foster and just walks him almost to the doggone sideline. Sproles gets in for the touchdown, 14 to 13 going into half. I really, really love that play from Kelsey. And Kelsey and uh, Lane Johnson, too, were just all over these linebackers throughout this game and really imposed their will as the game went on. In the second half, they start running more 12 and 13 personnel, the two and three tight end sets, start using that at a higher percentage, just like they did against the Giants and started to beat the Redskins down a little bit. So I did like the game plan overall from the Eagles and you know they come out in the third half and you think they're going to start to get the momentum going and we can start talking about Carson Wentz they get into the red zone they're at the five yard line it's first and goal they run slant it's intercepted by Norman Norman had outside leverage and it was a backside read he was looking front side first and goes backside to the slant I thought Carson was a little late on it he was falling back off of it a little bit. It was an all-arm throw, and Norman was able to yeah. undercut, undercut it and pick that off. What did you think about Carson's performance? Because early on, he missed a couple of throws that weren't so bad, at least the way that people made him out to be, in my opinion. He had the red zone interception, and then also in the fourth quarter on third and three, he just flat out missed Nelson Aguilar on that play-action play right. where he had him in the flat. But he also did make some nice throws, too, and used his legs uh, more than a few times to make some really oh. big plays, because I heard that wasn't he a thing. He has those? Yes, he does have two yeah, legs. Yeah, I don't know. Here's, so I'm going to work backwards, because I think working backwards will make it easier to understand why I do not think Carson Wentz played poorly at all. Third and three missed on Elson Aguilar. Let me ask you this, Mike. Yeah. You, yeah, you've watched the Eagles a fair bit, right? You sometimes catch their games. Perhaps. Does Carson Wentz usually make that throw? Oh, all the time. All the time he makes yeah, that throw. So it's probably okay, yeah. right? It's probably not like a sign that his left knee is causing <laughs> significant problems. Yeah. Like he was like moving forward in the pocket, saw Aguilar, whipped it, and missed it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like 
and it happens. You know, like they they cut to Alshon and Jeffrey, and he's like laughing as he rips his face, his 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 uh, chin strap off. Yeah. <laughs> like like you know, he's like Carson, you idiot. Like you know, Carson is a throw. Ben, have you noticed that everyone is a doctor in the past week since that Ian Rappaport thing dropped? Right. I uh, as I said when the Ian Rappaport thing came out, and as I I still hold. It smells to me like somebody just said it to kind of, you know, excuse some Carson poor game. You know what I mean? Just be like, oh, well, he's still recovering from the knee. He's still, like, learning how to put, you know, uh, weight on it. Like, okay. You know what I mean? Like, he's he's missing some throws. He's making some throws. It's fine. Anyway, so now we have uh, the interception. Mm. There's a lot going on there, yeah. right? Number one, he was definitely late to the throw. Alshon broke one leverage and the ball arrived late, especially on an interior slant like that with a middle linebacker and a safety sitting right there. That should be an immediate throw. Carson's clearly looking at it, lands on his back foot, should be stepping into the throw. Yeah. And he's not stepping into it. And then all of a sudden he throws it off tempo. And so because he throws it off tempo, he doesn't step in a throw at all. It's like a little like jump pass. He kind of just like whips his body around. And honestly, he generates super good torque. To like shoot that ball in there, which is like a good trade. Like that was impressive. But anyway, um, like he finished that throw like facing the other direction. It was a lot of rotational strength, which is good. And then it looked like it might have gotten tipped, might have gotten redirected. It looked like Alshon was already decelerating those, so the ball was probably behind, which makes sense because Carson was probably trying to avoid the middle linebacker. He forced a dumb throw. Yeah. At like the three yard line. That was really stupid, and he shouldn't do that anymore. <laughs> and we've talked about Carson forcing throws to his pre snap read. Looking at that, you should have been looking more to the outside slant, which was Jordan Matthews, who he tried to hit Jordan Matthews on outside slant on an earlier drive, was not able to hit him. And perhaps he didn't want to throw it to J-Matt that time. He wanted to throw it to Alshon because J-Matt didn't catch the first one. J-Matt didn't run a great route in the first one. So he forced it to Alshon. That is dumb. And I can promise you, Carson knew it was dumb while he was doing it because he didn't look like he wanted to be throwing it while he was throwing it. <laughs> right? Like, he threw it super late and it was, like, off on the can. He clearly was forcing it. That is dumb. It's bad. Then there were the two long misses, one to Nelson Aguilar down the sideline, one to Zach Ertz down the sideline. The Zach Ertz one looked as if... Ertz went to settle. Yes. And Carson expected him to go, which we couldn't tell because the ESPN broadcast did not replay a single play from the entire game. I know. Which I don't get like worked up about a lot, but I was just, I was in a tizzy. Oh, I was steaming. I was like, just show me the gosh darn plays. I'm here to watch football. This is so annoying. I find the Sunday night football crew without Michaels and Chris Collins worth very annoying, but I think that production crew does a very good job of finding replays, knowing when to replay something and giving us good yeah, angles good on point. it. The ESPN crew tonight did literally none of that. We got shots of Jason Witten with a little tiny nosebleed as they were going in. Like, give me something tangible for all of these absurd talking points that you're throwing out there, please. Do you want to know when I absolutely lost it? When? When they showed the AFC, AFC playoff picture. Oh my god. In a game, what are you doing? In, a game bet- in a game between two <laughs> NFC teams with next week being a crucial NFC playoff game between the Seahawks and the Vikings on Monday Night Football. And they're like, yo, did you guys see Philip Rivers last night? That was crazy. <laughs> anyway, here's why the Chargers might be good in the playoffs. Meanwhile, like, plays are happening. It's not like we're still in the oh, huddle. No. Like, first yeah. and ten has passed, and they're talking about the Chargers. It's very clear to me. And I can't say, I didn't watch a ton of Monday Night Football in the beginning of the year, so maybe I'm wrong. But in my opinion, it's very clear that the broadcast crew and even whatever the, the, the play-by-play guy is, Tessator, I don't really know his name, are trying to make sure Witten doesn't get to talk very much. Yes. That's my opinion. Yes. 
right? Like they like they introduce topics very inorganically, very like decidedly, right? Just like all right, and now we're talking about this. Say the words about this that you prepared. Good job. And now, like, you know, maybe we'll talk about what's happening on the field so you don't have to improv as much. And that's why we're not getting the replay angles. We're not getting the replay angles because that's when the color guy shines. He can't analyze the replay angles. (laughs) You're getting – yeah, you're getting pre-manufactured stuff just to keep him from talking. That's why you need like a three – it's not a three-man booth because Booger's on that sideline in his weird Booger mobile, but whatever. So that's why you don't get a lot of replays, which is frustrating for guys like me and you where you have to keep going back and keep going back to watch the same play and hope to see it analyze what's happening and be able to record a podcast and so we need to be able to see things a couple times right which is why i like it when my my stream is behind and i always yell at blg in the slack chat because blg would be like josh adams running back one and i'm like blg i haven't seen the play yet they're like i don't tell me what's gonna happen <laughs> but sometimes it's helpful because i know where to watch and i know i'm not getting a replay right uh but anyway so the zach Ertz throw looked like a miscommunication and Ertz looked pissed afterward and like not yeah. pissed at carson but pissed at himself. he slowed it down yeah the Aguilar throw it was, it was, it was, it was, you know, cover one, like a middle of the field closed look. So you have a safety who's going to be closing and Aguilar had outside leverage on a corner with room to the sideline. You are taught to put that ball on his outside shoulder. Carson maybe missed that throw by half a yard. So in my opinion, we have a really freaking dumb decision, a miscommunication, a miss that didn't actually, uh, a miss that didn't actually like, like mean anything in terms of like that third and three in Nelson Aguilar, a miss that just kind of like was super operative. And then, like, yeah, a, a tough downfield throw that he put in a pretty good spot, but it was just out of reach for Aguilar. Like, I'm going to tell you something right now. That happens every week. Carson does those four things every week. If this time, those first three were really concentrated, like, all in the first, like, 25 minutes of the game. And that makes you, like, want to, like, you know, like, you're obviously you lose seven points for that. You potentially lose some more points on the, on the Ertz throw or the Aguilar throw or whatever. Yeah, it hurts. Carson played a great game. I mean, Carson had some insane third down throws to, to Alshon Jeffrey, putting them in absolutely fantastic spots. Carson was hitting Zach Gertz in rhythm and intermediate windows constantly. Placement. These are throws that other quarterbacks are not successfully making that often. Like, I, I don't know what, what I don't, like, there, there has to be a reasonable expectation for a third year player, also coming off injury for whatever that means, who also is clearly, and we've been talking about this for weeks, pushing like trying to do everything to bring his team back right. which is understandable he's a young guy who didn't get to win the super bowl last year just making some mistakes if he could be drew Brees, that'd be awesome yeah but he's not <laughs> but the thing is there's only one drew Brees right now like you it's not like every other team has him you know like the eagles have a quarterback who right now is easily playing one of the 10 best games like quarterback play in the league it's like he was doing in 2017 he's probably a little bit worse in 2018 it's okay regression hits it's really fine Carson like you know I'll put it put it like a cap on it this way Carson is not and has never really been like the problem with this team <laughs> so it's fine it's interesting the expectations that get put on him in this situation and we're not trying to be apologists I, I don't think me and Ben are Wentz apologists uh, at heart at all uh, we will point out I mean I did a whole piece I mean, on the mental back in, errors back in 2017 I got yelled I got yelled at after every post game show for not crowning Wentz the MVP you remember that oh yeah we did a post game show where I said Russell Wilson deserved MVP over Carson Wentz people lost their minds. The, the, the people were not happy <laughs> so we tell it like how we see it if you disagree that's fine too I mean look that's just our opinion so uh, we move forward into the game because this thing wasn't too competitive despite being a little too close for a little too long which I was not a fan of but fourth quarter our drive that ends in the fourth quarter 11 plays 85 yards 
541 time taken on that drive. What I really liked at the end of this drive, and we spoke about it in our preview show, was with the fact that on the touchdown and then on the two-point conversion, the Eagles go with rub routes back-to-back. They hit the pick route, they hit the slant to Jordan Matthews, and then they also do that that slant flat with the natural rub to Golden Tate on the two-point conversion. It's something that that the Redskins defense has struggled with for the entire season, so good scouting of the the defense and, and knowing where you can get them and that pretty much put the game away i mean ben you know who you know who did a good job scouting the defense mike me and you no no i was, I was actually just gonna say you <laughs> you did a uh this this was a game where i kept on seeing things but like yo mike said that on the podcast <laughs> yo mike also said that on the podcast so shout out you mike i mean like like linebackers mason foster obviously was the major focus <laughs> of the passing attack was exposing mason foster well done with that man and the running and the running game to the screen game it, 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 mason foster was bad this game jason kelsey lane johnson all up in his kitchen so all the mason truthers are the mason foster truthers from washington twitter that got in in my feed yeah suck on it that's that's what's going on here uh ben uh anything else you want to point out from this defensive performance i mean rasul douglas was in there starting he got burned early on a play action concept and then uh he shore things up he was a really good tackler for the rest of the game including that third down stop that was awesome this is this is a this is a great example of why i think you should listen to the kiss and solak show if you listen to the Kiss and Solak show, you should know that Rasul Douglas should not play off coverage. Because whenever we talk about Rasul, <laughs> we talk about a guy who's very like physical, and he doesn't have great movement skills, and he's got good length. So you want to let him get into a receiver's box, as Mike would say, up in his kitchen. Uh, you, off coverage, when he's off uh, off line of scrimmage, he's eight yards deep, and he's backing up, you're exposing his long speed, you're exposing his change of direction skills. That's what Josh Doxson did to him. So when you see that, you'd be like, oh, Sewell sucks. That's a great example of where you have to be better at deploying your personnel. Yeah. You have to let Rasul Douglas, who you drafted to play in your system, be able to play up on the line of scrimmage. Otherwise, he's not going to be successful, right? And so you watch that, and the, your buddies you're watching the game with, your family's like, yeah, Sewell sucks. And you go, well, let's evaluate him at his strengths. No, no, no. Dear, no. Right. Sewell shouldn't be playing off coverage. That is a coaching mistake, right? That's the thing, like, as a great example of where you got to understand personnel so you can better evaluate what's happening on the field. When Rasul was then allowed to play up into space, he's he's breaking up wide receiver screens by attacking downhill. He's a very physical run defender, a run support uh, force player, an alley player, which is something we do not see from the Philadelphia defense, especially on their corners. That was fantastic to see. Uh, Sewell was also, you know, not necessarily tested deep that much. Again, the only other time he was tested deep was a little uh, uh, pylon route in the near red zone. It was Sanchez's only deep passing attempt, and he played it really nicely. Again, he was in off coverage this time. Again, he was patient, waiting for the potential slant and go. He was clearly playing for a a slant and go. Didn't get it. He just got a fade route. Stayed in the hip pocket, gave up a little bit of vertical space because he's not the fastest guy, but clearly closed the window. It would have necessitated a perfect throw, and Sanchez didn't hit a perfect throw. That's what you want to see from your corners. So he didn't get tested too much, obviously, by Sanchez, but I was excited with what I saw from Sewell. Man, Fletcher Cox against backup offensive guards, some explicit content. It's unacceptable. You can't be playing that on national television. It's unbelievable. Uh, And and Michael Bennett, obviously Brandon Graham with a sack as well. Brandon Graham got a sack on a little inside game, which... Very exciting to see that because the you know Brandon Graham needs to get warmed up a little bit, but also those games that's good defensive coaching against those weaker inside interior guards. So you like to see that as well. Generally for the defense, it was a matter of well, we're definitely going to be able to get pressure with four right now, which will let us play the way we want to play. Uh, There were still some rally and tackle issues, especially on third down. 
this seems like that's something that's not going away. But listen, if they're able to be a rally and tackle, or excuse me, if they're able to be a, a rush with four team against the Cowboys, they can stop that Cowboys offense very nicely without a doubt. And I'm glad you bring up Brandon Graham because I actually said on uh, 97.5 The Fanatic this morning when I was on there with my... Oh, okay, okay, okay. Just throwing that in there. Just throwing that in there. I was asleep. <laughs> Uh, I, I said that Brandon Graham on these guards was a good matchup. I'm glad he filled out the, the box score with that sack, with the inside stunt. That's something that, you know, when you have a backup guard in there and you really want to test what they can do with passing those things off, you, you run it at him. I, I called the sack from a guard alignment, but, you know, he's going against the guard. It's whatever. I called it. It's fine. Uh, ben, we got one thing that BLG keeps telling us to get to before we get to three words. Do we want to get to that? Do you know what I'm talking about? I think you do. Yes, and absolutely not. I'm not. I'm not gonna. You know, this is a little child throwing a temper tantrum, and I am not going to <laughs> give in. Bad, bad parenting. May he forever reign. <laughs> we forgot. <laughs> BLG wanted me to say on the podcast that he was in the Slack channel intentionally sending us notifications while we're broadcasting in an attempt to distract us. Oh, which. That's that he told me to say that on the show. So there you go, BLG. Yeah, I, I had muted him once he already started distracting us. There are two more things I want to talk about in terms of this game. Okay. I will let you pick which you want me to take. Tate or Ertz? Oh, I mean Ertz is fantastic. I mean, what what, what are you gonna say about Ertz? Like oh, didn't he set a franchise record for receptions tonight? Was that a thing that happened? Exactly. That's I think that's one of the main reasons we should talk about him. Yeah. Zach Ertz broke Brian Westbrook's record of receptions in a single season with ninety. I believe Ertz by the end of the game had ninety three three maybe 94 uh so congratulations go to Ertz. but i think the important thing that i want to say about zach Ertz in the wake of his record-breaking performance is he's probably the smartest tight end in the league and then i would also say the most versatile in the sense of no other tight end in the league runs the number of routes that he does yeah no other tight end in the league can just he like i was thinking about it when alshon had his like third third down conversion of the game Zach Ertz is like the wide receiver one of this offense. And Alshon is like the stick moving tight end you hit on third down. Like they have the complete opposite roles you would expect them to have, especially now that Golden Tate kind of had his stronger game. Right, because Ertz is so fantastic. And we talk about it on this show a lot. And people should, I think, know that we think this way. We put articles out about it and whatnot. He's an elite route runner. He knows how to tilt defenders at the break point. He knows how to attack them. He knows how to widen them before breaking back in. He just understands where to sit down in zones. And he's just so... So mentally aware of his surroundings and where he needs to get to. And, you know, you saw it on third down, Zach Brown's on him and he's running the shallow dragon. He's yelling, cars, 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 yeah, which was so awesome because you you, you, we found out that he calls Carson Wentz cars, yeah. <laughs> which is great. He's super cute. But yeah. You can only get out one syllable when you're like running at full speed. <laughs> you ain't trying to hit multiple syllable names, man. But yeah, the relationship that him and, and, and you know, Ertz is going to get some kickback for people saying that we forced the ball to him. He's open so much. It's not his fault. He's pretty doggone yeah. awesome. If wait, if we go by the conception of Ertz's wide receiver one, nobody criticizes uh, you know Houston for feeding DeAndre Hopkins because <laughs> that's what we do. We feed wide receivers. I mean, Ertz is that. Yeah. You know, very simply. I'd like to take a moment to shout out Mike Rowe for uh, just uh, a Clearly. stalwart listener of the podcast, Mike. Just a a fierce, dedicated listener to the show. Did you see his five star review on uh, on Apple Podcasts? He left. Yeah, he left no, a he uh, from Geek Rowe. <laughs> 95. <laughs> no, actually, this isn't so much a uh, listener of the podcast as a reader of Bleeding Green. In reflecting on, like, kind of the whole Tate is not integrated into the offense, like, it's challenging to integrate Tate. Uh, my thought was, like, yeah, he's not integrating the offense because you're not letting him play wide receiver. You're making him play gadget. Right. 
where he just, every touch he gets is just like, and now we're throwing it to him, it's decided. Yeah. And instead of just letting him run routes, and in this game, they just let him play. They just they said, listen, Tate's going to run routes, and then he's going to be the first read sometimes, and other times it's going to be a check down, and sometimes, you know, we're still going to do the jet bubble stuff, and Carson's going to make up the thing where he sells him to go because there's space on a linebacker, like, that's all great. And we're just going to play. He's just going to be a member of the offense. It's going to be like he was here the whole time. And that just made things so much easier for Tate, made things so much easier for Carson. And then that's where you get to see Tate's value. That two-point conversion was awesome. Yeah. That catch was fantastic. Like, and, and because now, you know, in that game, Tate was just a guy who was running third down routes. Tate was just a guy who was running crossers, right? You don't see him line up in a little bunch and you go, it must be coming here because the entire game hasn't just been Tate getting a beneficial alignment and then being fed the ball they just like the integration of tate in the offense was they just stopped trying to integrate him in the offense and let him freaking play wide receiver because he's a veteran wideout and it was great to see and listen one game i am not positive that tate is like now a part of the offense you know like obviously this could be the start of a turnaround it could be a blip on the radar who knows but if there's a time for golden tate to be impactful it is against the dallas cowboys on sunday night that would be very very helpful to have that extra passing weapon, especially one that has only been in the Eagles offense for so long. And obviously they're, they're still working on how they play him in the offense. So Dallas won't necessarily know everything that's coming their way. I think that that this could be a very, very big game for Tate. I was very excited to see what was going on there. I would, I fully agree that I think that there is a better balance and a better utilization of Tate's skill set in the fact that they're not force feeding him. I mean, they're in him on a reduced split on a, on a deep out, and it worked, and it was beautiful. And I was like, yes, this is exactly it. Give all your slot guys and your tight ends more slot type reps by bringing them into the formation. So I agree. A better balance with 12 and 13 personnel mixed with the 11 personnel as well, which is not what we saw when Tate first came in. So it seems like they're ironing those things out. If those things can be completely ironed out and hitting full speed as we play the Dallas Cowboys, that would be magical. So we'll deal with that bridge when we get there. I want to go to three words from the at BGN underscore radio account. After... The loss to the Cowboys, I believe it was. No, it was after the loss to the Saints. We had about 500 responses on three words. Yep. The Eagles just won the second most important game that they're going to play all season. Yeah. We have 100 responses. Yeah. <laughs> so the Eagles lost to a team they should have lost to by a lot. And everyone was furious. And the Eagles just won a critical game in primetime. And nobody's interested in sharing their opinion. Yeah, exactly. Kayla Fredrickson at kfred831. Tate is great with a green heart emoji. Let's see what else we have here. There is a lot. Yo, she always rocks the green heart emoji. Oh, yeah, that's true. There is a lot of we want Dallas from multiple people, which is, yeah. Well, we, we're, we're getting them. The schedule is kind of rigid at this point, guys. Yeah, that's true. Uh, there's another one that says boring as S from Bill Hank Stockings hung by the chimney with care. It's a verified account. Who's wow. That? Okay. Seasonal. At sundown model. 11,000 followers. I've never had an interaction with this person before, but you know what? BLG responded to him. Maybe forever in. He said, you are correct. I mean, this team really hasn't been... We do our best to spice things up, but as far as like storylines as like the season goes, it's been hard to grasp onto anything and like really make it interesting. Like this team just isn't... And me and BLG were talking about this on BGN Radio a week ago, but it just hasn't been the most fascinating season. But things could get fascinating next week. Ben, do you see anything on three words that you want to hit on? Yeah, we have two like one minute apart from each other. Uh, Christy at Lady Shucks and Edward Holtam at Devil Bod. Both of them the exact same. I hope they coordinated this. Uh, Sanchez butt recovery, which honestly... 
let's be very real here. Uh, that was almost amazing. If he fumbled that ball, it bounced off his butt, and he didn't recover it, the internet would have <laughs> lost their mind. Uh, Chow at Chow Koalhoma, I don't know, uh, says, bye, Ed Oliver. I'm really interested in this two-week Ed Oliver what theme we currently have going on in the mentions to three words. And then somebody, I don't know where it is, I think I've lost it, somebody welcomed back Sproles. And I will say, I think after the third and fourth run, a lot of people were like, oh man, Sproles hasn't played since week one, why is he getting that ball? And then he had that 14-yard touchdown run, it's like, oh, that's right, because Sproles is really hard to tackle. That's important. Uh, listen, don't, obviously Sproles was clearly on a pitch count. Uh, and, and he'll, I'm assuming, have to earn back his rep simply because Clement and Adams were both quite productive, which I think has more to do with the offensive line than either Clement or Adams. But Sproles and Tate back for Dallas, that's not bad news. I, I, I say Tate back. Sproles back and Tate warming up for Dallas, that is not bad news. That is good news. Those are two very difficult space weapons to handle, bring a lot of quickness. And so I was very glad to see Sproles get back, get at least some touches. Obviously, not, nothing much in the return game. Had one kind of decent return, that 14-yard run. And he also, he also had a first and 10 run where he got contacted and then picked up another four yards after contact, just, you know, muscle hamstring. I was really appreciated that. So I was happy to see Sproles back. I know uh, a few people didn't like that handoff, but still, I thought I was very happy to see him there. Ben. I think it's time to wrap this baby up. 28-13 to 13 win. Eagles win over the Redskins. Keep their hopes alive. And it sets up a showdown with the dreaded Dallas Cowboys on a short week for us. So we're going to be covering it from all different types Long of week angles. for them. Yeah, long week for them, which is... Well, listen, it, it, come, well, it comes down to this. You know how anytime everybody gets into the playoffs and you say like, oh, like playoffs, like everything is different. Wash the records away. Well, it's a, it's a, a battle between two teams who know each other very well, who don't like each other, you know, who play twice a year. For the lead in the division, it's not wiped the records away completely like it might be in the playoffs, but it is a little bit like, you know, it's like a week 17 game between division rivals where one team is playing for something and the other team really isn't. They're just playing spoiler. Like, weird stuff happens. You know, obviously Philadelphia will come in as underdogs. Haven't seen a line yet. I would expect to see about minus 5.5 would be my guess for the Cowboys being favored. But this is going to be a tough game to predict exactly what happens because you really just don't know where emotions are going to be for both teams coming in and obviously both teams playing for a lot. I think it's going to get crazy. But that's for Sunday and you'll be hearing preview shows for that all week all week here on BGN Radio. We do appreciate you coming by. This was the Eagles Redskins recap episode. I've been Benjamin Solak on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K's and Michael Kist on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. T schedule will be a bit accelerated because of course we are on a short week as we said so you can expect the Philadelphia Eagles uh, all 22 review against the Washington Redskins likely to drop as soon as we get that all 22 film which should drop Tuesday tomorrow so hopefully Mike I'd say we'd get that out on Wednesday does that sound right you caught me not listening again. Why do you never listen? Why do you, I always have questions for you in the wrap-up, and you never listen. Wednesday, record the All-22 review for the Redskins on Tuesday, drop it on Wednesday. Yeah, yeah, that sounds, all of that, yes. Okay, and so then you'll have your uh, Eagles versus Cowboys All-22 offensive and defensive preview shows on Thursday and Friday, right. respectively. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe because if you don't, the podcast will die. It will vanish into nothingness unless it gets rate and reviews every single day. It will just wither away. iTunes will destroy it. Mike and I will no longer cease to exist. We'll no longer exist. We will cease to exist. Rate and review. Thank you for listening. We all we got. We all we need somehow. Fly, Eagles, fly. <laughs>
Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. Smart.